So you always want to be prepared to... To set goals. To be really disruptive. Diversity is fundamental. It is just trusting those super strengths. To recover from those failures and, and learn from them. Humility looks like the softest word, but it's kind of the hardest. We ourselves are in beta mode. Life goes on. Sporting Edge, inside the mind of champions. Welcome to the Inside the Mind of Champions podcast. My name is Jeremy Snape. I'm a former England cricketer with a master's degree in sports psychology. Since retiring, I've been fortunate to work with and interview some of the world's most successful thinkers and performers. And I'm passionate about translating their habits and routines into practical strategies to help you become more successful. In each episode, I'll be dissecting a common performance challenge to help you improve your mindset, your leadership, and your team performance. To me, our mindset is the next frontier. So let's find out why. Hello and welcome to, wait for it, episode 50 of Inside the Mind of Champions. We've actually had 66 if you count the micro lessons, so there's no need to get too carried away. In breaking news, we've made it to number two in Qatar's management charts this week. So thanks to everyone for listening there. If you're trying to sneak into that world tour we've been speaking about for the last few weeks between St. Lucia's number one and Sri Lanka's, then we'll need just a few more listens from Qatar to secure your spot. But I'm sure we can drop in en route to refresh and refuel. I hope you've had a great month so far. Are things picking up a little bit for you? Have you got your motivation back? If you're still flagging a little bit, then you could go back to one of my recent episodes called 2022 Still Loading or episode 17 a while back, which was called Maintaining Your Mojo. Both of those look at motivation and and some scientific elements and some practical tips and some really interesting perspectives from our experts to help you to reignite that passion and motivation for your work and life. Well, on to this week, and I had a great experience of hosting two online coaching sessions with HSBC's Rising Talent. We ran an early session for the Eastern Time Zone, and then we repeated a similar session for the Europe, uh, the States and the Western Time Zones later in the day. I created a bespoke session against their key messages and then shared some of our video insights across their broadcast platform. We got brilliant feedback and I think there's about 700 people on those two sessions together. I'd love to help you. I actually love designing those sessions for businesses. So please do drop me a note through to hello at sportingedge.com if you need any kind of leadership support or content for your leadership team. Now, you may remember a couple of weeks ago, I asked you if you'd got any interesting themes for future episodes of the show. And Suzanne from EDF Energy suggested empowerment. So thanks, Suzanne, for the idea. And I hope you find today's episode particularly useful. So let's start at the beginning with a definition of empowerment and a sense of why it's such a key corporate buzzword at the moment. Well, I guess there are three factors driving its rise in popularity. First, it's a great antidote to the change and pace of transformation that many organisations are experiencing. Especially for large corporations, 
if we check everything back up the chain of command every time anything changes at the customer level, then we could slow things down to a glacial halt. The truth is that delivering results in the short term while transforming the business in the longer term creates an almost impossible tension. So delegating some of the extra responsibility down into our teams is an immediate release of the pressure valve. Secondly, many organisations around the world seem to be still working remotely. So to have some kind of dictatorial leader barking instructions and micromanaging from behind a laptop screen is just not going to work. People will just tune out and sit in the garden or the pub. Thirdly, we've seen a wide range of social movements on the rise with vast swathes of society craving to be listened to and to be understood. We don't want to feel like tiny cogs in the machinery of a Victorian factory anymore. Our work's changed and we want to express ourselves to be creative in purposeful and meaningful work. We don't feel this pride and ownership if we have a control freak on our case. So these three factors mean that empowerment features in every corporate word search and strategy document. But what does it actually mean? Well, good old Wikipedia says that empowerment is the degree of autonomy and self-determination in people and communities. This enables them to represent their interests in a responsible and self-determined way, acting on their own authority. It's the process of becoming stronger and more confident, especially in controlling one's life and claiming one's rights. Empowerment as action refers to both the process of self-empowerment and to the professional support of people, which enables them to overcome their sense of powerlessness, a lack of influence, and to recognise and use all their resources. So the end result is people feeling like they have autonomy and choice. This gives them confidence and influence, allows them to make an even bigger impact in their life and work. I think we'd all like to see more of that, but it takes a certain mindset. I can think of a few world leaders that wouldn't be quite so keen to give everyone that level of autonomy. And I can even think of a few leaders I've met. For them, this is too important to give away. They want to retain the control. So it's all about their success. And when the chips are down, it's got to be done their way. As we've mentioned already, there are some pretty big societal forces conspiring against this ancient ideology of coercive control. So empowerment is definitely the future for high performance. So let's start bringing in the experts. I'd love you to be able to search our Members Club platform. I shared a few people this week and they couldn't believe, even though they'd been listening to the podcast for quite a while, what the platform can do. You can search and in seconds you get these incredible insights from so many different perspectives. So if I type in the word empower, then I see all the videos from the elite sports coaches, business leaders and academics just on that topic arrive in seconds. So here's a starter from the wonderful storyteller and author of the best-selling book, Legacy, Lessons from the All Blacks. It's James Kerr reflecting on a personal conversation he had out in Afghanistan with a wizened old military leader. This grizzled old um, American US commander in in Afghanistan, I had a chance to go to Kabul, said that the courage of leadership is the courage to let go. 
right, is to release uh, power, literally empower, means giving away power uh, to, to, to somebody else to sort out the how. Now, that's tremendously important because it gives people autonomy and ownership and a chance to grow in their position. It gives them a chance to be really good at what they're doing. They feel like they're their own man or woman, you know, they're their own boss. Uh, and, and people who feel that will, it will it attracts and retains more talent. Um, you'll have a huge amount more discretionary effort. Um, people love their work, you know, so it's tremendously powerful. Now, one of the issues in business, of course, is that there isn't such a philosophy really that's understood. So people just say, empower your people and, that, and they think, well, I'm gonna to go to their desk and I'm gonna give them a good old talk and make sure they're enthusiastic. But that's not really what it's about at all. It's about passing the ball of responsibility over giving people a job, giving, making, letting people be more useful and more capable and getting out of their way. Um, and so, you know, good, you know, good leaders create followers and great leaders create other leaders. Um, they, they create the opportunity for people to grow and develop, to take on responsibility, to sort out the issue and to kind of rise in the ranks. Um, and to me, that's really what empowerment is. And I, I think it needs to be aligned within an entire organization because there's no that's high risk strategy for sort of a departmental head to create an empowerment team behind them if it's a very command and control structure above because as soon as something goes wrong and it always will bang blame starts to take place and then all of that everyone gets disempowered very very quickly so you want a kind of a, a clarity of what it is of what you're trying to do uh, and, a, and an alignment of intention um, what the military kind of call two up and two down you want to know what the your leader two up once is trying to achieve and people two down should know what you're trying to achieve. Um, so trying to align an organisation around a common kind of framework for, for empowerment I think is the ideal way that leaders create leaders. There are loads of nuggets in that two minute video. Firstly, the wise old military commander saying that the courage in leadership is the courage to let go. I couldn't agree more to literally give away power to people below you in the chain of command. Far from being a sign of weakness, this is a massive sign of strength. After all, you're not giving them your whole job, you're giving them power in a specific area for a specific time to get a specific job done. And this allows you to rise up to that strategic view and start planning the next uh, projects that are coming your team's way. Then the other important point was about empowerment needing to be part of a system sponsored by senior leadership, not just the philosophy of a few well-meaning middle managers. This culture needs to be more than a fair weather principle or a corporate mantra. It needs to stand up to the storms of mistakes and errors of judgment. If people get slammed after trying to do the right thing, then it'll be the end of the empowerment era, because even if it's offered, no one will dare take it. So that begs the question, can we actually empower people or is it really just an invitation from leaders? Without a willing performer who is courageous enough to accept the gauntlet, empowerment can't really take place. Empowerment's a partnership, a performance agreement down the chain of command. So we all need players on the front line of sport and business who think like leaders and who can make brilliant decisions. While James was on a roll with his military analogies, I asked him to dig a little bit deeper to the origins of these military models to see what we could learn for our own setting 
and his answer gave both a historical insight and contemporary relevance. So how do leaders create leaders? Um, I think one of the things that's interesting is that in business, people talk about empowerment all the time, so much that it's become a cliche. It's become, well, what is that? It's pink and it's fluffy and it doesn't mean anything. And I think one of the issues is that within business, there really isn't a definition of what empowerment is. There really isn't a structure or a doctrine. It's just kind of an intention, a woolly intention. Um, I think it's interesting if you look at military models around what empowerment means for that. And uh, there's a doctrine that's really adopted as a leadership doctrine by most of the world's armies now. Um, it's called Mission Command. And Mission Command was developed by the Prussians after Napoleon whooped them in a battle called Yana in um, 1806. Um, and Napoleon had a highly mobile, self-directed uh, system at place where his officers didn't have to come back and ask him for permission to make frontline decisions. Um, so they, you know, uh, so they, they beat the Prussians who are very hierarchical and monolithic. Russians went away, decided they needed to develop a system, and that system was called Mission Command. Mission Command, in its simplest terms, is, you know, you select the right people, you, you um, train them well, so you make sure their capability is there, you resource them properly, um, and then you explain uh, their task in a certain way, and that certain way is in order to. I'd like you to do this in order to. It's a very purpose-driven task, in a sense. I'd like you to build this bridge in order to help our troops get across so we can take that town. Um, and of course, if that bridge doesn't come into place, you still know what the ultimate aim is. So you're, you're, you are empowered, therefore, literally, to make those decisions, the how decisions. It might not be a bridge, it might be a ford that, that you do, but the intention is to do that. So it's called commander's intent, and it's by throwing the end result out and then empowering the lower echelons to sort it out. And of course, as a leader, the thing you want the most is somebody saying, coming up to you, I got that boss. Or already having thought of what needs to be done. Yep, we're on to that. I mean, that's it because it shows that the people under you, if you like, are taking initiative, uh, understand the big picture. I love that principle of mission command and I've spent some time at Sandhurst Military Academy and heard it echoing around the stories there too. But can you picture your equivalent intent to building that bridge in order to capture that tower on the far side? Would you feel comfortable setting the intent or would you ha have to actually drive the tank and then fasten all the planks of the bridge together as well? If you do, then you're definitely slowing down the progress of the team and also taking your eye off that strategy for tomorrow because you might be better served setting the team up for success in the longer term or even watching out for the enemy. This ability to engage people in the process and problem solving is a key step in them taking full accountability. The best way to think about this is if you're given free reign to make a call in the way you deliver a project then would you be more or less committed to making that a success if it was your version and your strategy? Contrast that with a boss standing over your shoulder and telling you exactly what to do in a really prescriptive way every day, and it might make you feel like you're just a robot in a straitjacket that's carrying out a plan. Now, everybody's a little bit different because some people like lots of autonomy and to take that responsibility. They, they like that pressure 
and that uh, focus. But other people actually might like being micromanaged, might like it being very clear, the roadmap that's set out in front of them, because that gives them the confidence that they're not going to get it wrong. So we've really got to understand who the personalities are in our team so that we get the right style of leadership for the right kind of people. There's absolutely no point getting timid people who've been burnt in the past to give them free you know, choice and autonomy because they just won't accept that and they'll feel very vulnerable and they'll probably panic anyway. So getting that sweet spot and that balance is absolutely critical. Cutting across the search results in our members club with keywords provides some fascinating perspectives. So here's another one from Stephen Park, CBE. He's the performance director for British Cycling. And he explains that if we want our teams to be fully committed, we have to get them involved in the overall plan. I think that, um, you know, if, if we want to have um, a team that's pulling in the same direction, we need everybody to have a degree of leadership. Everyone's got to have empowerment. And um, people only have that if they believe they have a, um, a stake in the, in the process. And so you're, you're far, far more likely to get the right outcome if you can lead people through process to the right answer than by just telling them the, the answer. Yeah, it might be quicker in the short term to just tell them the answer. But long term, they're not able to use the process, the learning to actually make those decisions for themselves. And, you know, at some stage, they will find themselves, you know, in the field of play on their own having to make those decisions. And you want to have confidence that they're more likely to make the right ones than the wrong ones more of the time. Um, and so therefore, you've got, to, you've got to help and support and guide people to, to make those decisions themselves. And ultimately, by doing so, they will feel that they actively have a stake in, in, the, in the outcome. Um, and therefore, they'll be more passionate about the result. And that certainly, the, the passionate side, I think, is ultimately is crucial to success. You know, people who are going to be highly successful need to be highly passionate about both the outcome and the process. And to do that, you need to be a stakeholder in, the, in both of those. We all grow in our leadership when we face new experiences. And as Stephen said, sometimes we find ourselves alone and have to make a decision for our team. If we give people the desired outcome and then work with them to define the process they're going to follow, picking out any flashpoints or potential derailers that they may encounter along the way, then we should get a focused yet flexible execution of the plan. Judging the distance to keep is a really key skill. What a leader can't do is just leave the rookies to decide the strategy and the process. That could be disastrous. So assessing people's competence, confidence and experience is key. For some, you'll need to play a regular and active role in the team. But for others, you'll need to be on the end of a phone with regular updates and progress checks. I spent the day with Stephen and his team when he was leading British Sailing and I asked him how he fast-tracked and nurtured so many amazing leaders who could make decisions in the pressure and unpredictability of the ocean. And he gave me this strange algebra formula to decipher. 
It was C3B4ME. And this was his empowerment philosophy, which underpinned the teams. I had to ask for a clue. And he said that it was tempting to dive in and tell people what the answer was when they had a problem. But the last thing he wanted to do was be a problem solver because that would make him part of the machine itself. So he wanted to make sure he could remain strategic and they could solve problems. So he said, my philosophy when the yachtsmen and yachtswomen were having an issue was to see three people in the team before they came to see me. C3 before me. I loved it. So how can we judge the distance we need for our teams to grow and take that step back? This not only gives them huge pride and trust that they are being respected and trusted to deliver, but it also frees up our time to think strategically and plan what's coming down the road. And who wouldn't love more strategic thinking time? Before we explore empowerment further, I just want to give you this special chance to join our members club for free of charge. There's absolutely no catch. You just need to go to sportingedge.com forward slash membership, create your own account and use the special code podcast 100 to get a 100% discount for a month. Here's more information on what's inside. During times of uncertainty and pressure, your mindset will be the key to your success. Sporting Edge members have unlimited personal access to hundreds of video insights and performance strategies to accelerate their personal and professional success. This is your chance to get powerful weekly micro-lessons from the world's best thinkers and performers from elite sport. You'll be able to connect with a global network of entrepreneurs, coaches and senior executives on webinars, discussion forums and events. Become a Sporting Edge member and get access to the world's best coaches on demand. For more information, visit www.sportingedge.com or email hello at sportingedge.com. One of our clients has just enrolled about 50 of their top leaders in that uh, members club. And, and they said they love it because it's like having a thousand tiny TED talks on their phone. So use that podcast 100 discount code and I'm sure you'll love it too. And I'm actually hosting a, a live Q&A with England rugby legend Will Greenwood next week. So if you join over the next few days, then you'll be in place to, to watch that free of charge as well. When you're passionate about your job and you demand excellence, it's hard to relinquish control. I think many of us feel that. But one of my favourite insights on this topic is a story that Sue Campbell shares about a fellow coach coming to watch her perfect training session. And the feedback she got really opened her eyes to a different style of leadership, one that develops skillful thinkers as well as skillful performers. The example I often use is a guy called Jim Greenwood who coached rugby here many years ago. And I thought I was a great coach, but I was a show-off. You know, my best tracksuit, yelling at everybody, very didactic, very telling. You know, netball, you know, it was like guns going off. I was incredibly, you know, at them. And Jimmy coached rugby and on the same night as me, and so he would watch me coach and then I would watch him coach. And I thought he was terrible. Because he was always asking questions. And I was like, come on, Jim, you can read books. You know, what's the matter with you? And it was only after a lot of dialogue, he once asked me a really important question. Where do you sit when the game starts? Which I thought was a rather silly question at the time. And he said, well, on the bench. 
when you're just nodding at me. So who makes all the decisions during the game then? And I said, well, the players. Mm. He says, and when do they get a chance to practice that with all your telling? I said, they don't. He said, no, exactly. So, you know, he, is, he, he turned my coaching into being a questioning coach. That doesn't mean to say you don't know where you're taking things. You know, there's that facilitation where you just start asking lots of questions. And there's the facilitation which helps someone go on a journey. So you're very clear what the journey is, but you've got to help the athlete take that journey for themselves, not take over that journey. I think the moment you take over that journey, um, you, you've actually disabled the athlete from achieving what they might do. I can feel Sue's pain when that feedback landed. She felt like her team were brilliantly prepared, but they were brilliantly prepared for her plan. What if the opposition decided to do something different or novel? What would the robots do then that were just being compliant and accurate? I found it fascinating working in top-level cricket, rugby and football and to see how the different management cultures look after their players and then empower their players to come up with the strategy. There's definitely been a difference traditionally between cricket and rugby working with the players to empower them to come up with their own strategies against the opposition, whereas the manager would actually, in football, still be that central role in calling the shots. And the players traditionally in football have spent as long watching the manager on the sideline and his arms waving as they have done watching the ball. So we need to decide the style of leadership that works. And football's really changing. I sit on the board of the LMA that looks after the leadership development of the um, various levels through the football game in the UK. And, and it's fascinating to see this shift in recent years to bring empowerment in and to lead with questions that generate greater self-awareness rather than the old model of command and control, which just gives us compliance. So let's move away from sport now and listen to Calist Kuhn, who's a digital skills and transformation coach. Her insight is perfect as a beginner's guide to practicing empowerment. Here's how it's done. A way that leaders can empower their teams is definitely by providing their teams with a lot more responsibility and trusting their teams. I know it's a lot easier said than done, but delegation really is an art and it's something that can be practiced effectively. I think for leaders to define what it is they need done, to give very clear context very clear frameworks and very clear objectives as to what they would like achieved and then totally step away from that in order to give the teams the kind of space to figure it out for themselves. That trust speaks volumes much more than any you know big motivating speech could and that would also then allow leaders the space to focus on their own improvement, on their own curiosity, on their own um, adaption of knowledge. So the context here is absolutely key. We shouldn't shout what's needed as the goal and then do a runner out of the door. That's a quick way to lose respect and credibility. But framing the project deliverables and how that fits to the higher purpose and strategy of the organisation is the key starting point. They'll also benefit from some frameworks or principles or guidelines to follow. And then the team can ask any questions to fill in the blanks that they have at that moment in time. Your team will also need proper resources to get the job done. So make sure you set them up for success. 
And then it's at this point when the partnership of empowerment and accountability is sealed. You can swivel around and let the team create the magic. Setting some criteria for your involvement after that point is also important. They'll need your positive support, but they won't need your constant scrutiny. As the delegated project gains momentum, they definitely will need constructive feedback and ideas, but try to keep the ball in their court unless the wheels are really coming off. It's great to look back also and celebrate their progress and to recognise the leaders emerging and flourishing through the project. This is the light and the oxygen our teams need to thrive. As the project runs to either an amazing or a mediocre conclusion, this isn't the end of the experiment. Empowerment is a philosophy for life, not just for Christmas. So don't dive in with your feedback. Ask the team to review their own journey for themselves. What worked well? What didn't work so well? And what would they do differently next time? This is where the magic begins. Not only should the team have been more engaged and more creative and more committed through the process, but by reviewing what they did when they had the gift of your autonomy, they'll gain a valuable insight and wisdom to sharpen their next approach. Maybe they were too distant from each other or left it too long to signal concern to you. All of these experiences guarantee that they are a project wiser, not just a project older. You'll now have a more self-aware and experienced set of performers who can take accountability for the project. Now they are ready for bigger and higher stakes and the process begins again. The joy for any leader or coach is watching your team perform better than you'd imagined and definitely better than you could have done yourself through the highs and the lows. When a team feels empowered to express their skills together, they feel like they can win from any position. And who doesn't want to lead a team like that? I hope you found today's insights helpful and that you can test them out with your own team. Thanks again to Suzanne for suggesting the topic. And if you've got any requests, then please do drop me a note through to hello at sportingedge.com. Have a great week and I'll see you soon. Thanks for listening to this episode of Inside the Mind of Champions. Connect with Jeremy's LinkedIn, Twitter and Instagram links in today's show notes to receive the latest insights from his work. If you'd like to get access to Sporting Edge's digital library or book Jeremy for a conference speech or webinar, then please visit www.sportingedge.com or email hello at sportingedge.com.